Hello, and welcome to the Retirement Repair Shop, brought to you by Realized. I'm your host, Mary Beth Franklin. This podcast series focuses on retirement challenges and how to get finances back on track. When it comes to retirement planning, one of the biggest concerns of retirees and challenges for financial advisors is budgeting for healthcare expenses. How do you plan for and pay for the unknown? And while many retirees worry that a potential long-term care event could devastate their retirement savings, the bigger threat may be the annual costs and ever-increasing expenses of Medicare. With me today is healthcare financing expert, Peter Stahl, president and founder of Bedrock Business Results, LLC. It's a training and consulting firm designed to help financial advisors understand healthcare challenges during retirement. Welcome to the podcast, Peter. Thank you, Mary Beth. Glad to join you. Always excited to talk about retirement healthcare. And we have a lot to talk about. So let's start right off. Why is it so important for financial advisors to factor healthcare costs into their clients' retirement income plan? The biggest reason is simply the enormity of the cost. Uh, when you look at helping out clients on the retirement income phase of life, you, you have to factor in their largest expenditures. I mean, you, you might not get involved with the decision of, of whether to drink a, a Cabernet or a Merlot, right? But when you look at issues such as taxes or healthcare expenditures, you know, the largest ones, then it's going to have an impact uh, on their retirement income plan. So I would say the enormity of the cost is a piece of it. Uh, the way you pay those costs, is, as you know, as a Social Security expert, that uh, Medicare costs, some, some of them come right out of your Social Security benefit. So that's a very tangible impact on someone's retirement income. And I guess the last thing I would say is a lot of the planning that needs to go on to prepare for this needs to take place when you're in your 50s and your early 60s. And so that's the role of the planner, right? They want to get after these concepts early and help people understand them and address them so that we're not doing it last minute. I think that's such an excellent point that even though Medicare enrollment begins usually at 65, the planning for those costs should start a lot sooner. But let's start with some of the Medicare basics, because a lot of advisors will simply say, hey, I'm no healthcare expert. I handle investments. But financial planning is moving towards a more holistic structure, particularly in the retirement income distribution end of things. So what do you think advisors need to know about Medicare? And should they help their clients make those initial Medicare enrollment decisions? Well, I would say they absolutely should. Uh, I think what they need to understand, what we need to realize in the financial advisor world is that Medicare is mandatory. So if you play that out, it impacts your most affluent to your least affluent household in your practice. That's such an incredible statement you made. Most people would not realize that Medicare is mandatory. Take us through that steps. What does that statement mean? Well, it means there's, there's no private health insurance marketplace for people in their retired years. So uh, whether in part or in full, if you want health insurance in retirement, then your core coverage is going to come from Medicare. 
And so I talk to financial advisors and their clients all the time. And it, it usually starts with a call. Well, this is my most important client, or this is my wealthiest client. And I really want to help them out with this. <laughs> and they've recognized that even your best clients can't come to you, cannot come to you and say, hey, let's forget this Medicare stuff. Let's just go ahead and, and get some good private health insurance. It, that, that market does not exist. That's right. Because once you're 65, Medicare is the primary uh, health care provider, the primary insurer. You may have other forms of insurance, maybe a supplemental Medigap policy, but Medicare is the number one payer there. And once you are at least 65 and receiving a Social Security benefit, you must enroll in Medicare, correct? Well, yes, partially correct. The age 65 is important, right? And I think uh, people tend to associate that with their Medicare enrollment. So, but it's important actually in saying you cannot get on to Medicare until you're 65. So it is, it does have a, a particular relevance there, you know, unless you have Lou Gehrig's disease or end-stage renal disease or, or a full social security disability. Those are the, the three qualifiers. You're not eligible for Medicare until you're 65. However, whether you should or even have to get on at 65 really depends on where you have your health insurance at that point. For many people, it's prudent not to get on Medicare at age 65. And, and they get a little panicky because they think, don't I have to? But it really depends on a number of factors. Right. Let's talk about some of those. As more and more baby boomers continue to work beyond the traditional age of 65, when they would normally enroll in Medicare, there are exceptions, right? If they continue to have group health insurance through their current employer. Can you talk about how that works? Sure. But Medicare makes a particular distinction and they draw a line at 20 employees. So if you work in the small business market, and let's define small business by Medicare terms, which is less than 20 employees, then welcome to Medicare at age 65. In other words, Medicare is <clears throat> your primary health care when you get to 65. And so you absolutely are going to want to get enrolled in Medicare at that point. But if you have health insurance from an employer uh, that meets certain stipulations and that employer has 20 or more employees, oftentimes it's prudent just to stay on the employer group health insurance plan and then transition to Medicare at a later date when you roll off of that plan into retirement. And then the question that often comes up that I'll address right off the bat is, well, what if it's my spouse's plan? And that's fine too. If you're covered by that group health insurance plan and it's 20 or more employees and their health insurance works really offers coverage that's as robust as Medicare, including prescription drug coverage, then you can stay on that plan and then make that transition to Medicare at a later date. Let's go back to those uh, small businesses. Um, Pre-COVID times, uh, I, and I know you as well, would often be traveling around the country giving seminars on things like Medicare and Social Security, and we've both been grounded due to COVID. 
But I remember being out in, in Denver and giving a presentation on Social Security and Medicare. And a small business owner said to me, well, I'm turning 65. I own my own business. I like my health insurance. I'm not going to sign up for Medicare. And I said, how many employees do you have? And he said, 10. I said, but you must. <laughs> he was flabbergasted. Talk about the consequences of someone in this situation who must sign up for Medicare, but doesn't. What happens to those people? What are the consequences? Well, I'll, I'll put it to you bluntly. If if that individual goes to the hospital uh, because they have some major event, healthcare event occur, uh, they technically have no insurance because their company group plan is secondary to Medicare. But if you don't have that primary Medicare coverage, when you look at the language of the health insurance contract, technically, Mary Beth, they're, they're usually not obliged to pay. Wow. Because the, the primary payer is not paying. So it, it can get a little sticky and get a little complicated, but to put it in its basic form, uh, without Medicare as your primary, your secondary is not obliged to pay, which means you have no health insurance. Right. So that's a major, major consequence. And then when people do get around to realizing their mistake and say, whoa, I, I guess I need to sign up for Medicare. Now we're dealing with penalties and deadlines. Can you talk about that? Medicare says we want you to enroll uh, you know, at the appropriate time. Right. And, and that, as we just said, can depend on whether you have group coverage and what the stipulations are in that coverage. Uh, but what they say is if you are late enrolling, they're going to hit you with some lifelong penalties and they're substantial. So for example, on your part B, which is one of your largest costs, your B like in boy, uh, you have a 10% penalty that's cumulative for each year that you're late. So you're late one year, your premium for your part B increases by 10% for the rest of your life. Uh, if you're late by three years, it's a 30%. So it's a cumulative 10% a year and part D, your prescription drug cost, they have a similar concept where they increase it by 1% per month that you're late. But once again, cumulative. So you're, you're three years late, you're 36 months late, you got a 36% penalty or 36% increase on your part D premium for the rest of your life. And this is substantial. And for people who may not be to Medicare age yet or not familiar with the working parts, take us through the A, B, C, and Ds of Medicare. What do these different parts mean and what do they cost? Sure. So think of it in terms of two basic coverage models. Uh, the, the first model has you enrolling in what's called original Medicare. So that's A and B. That comes through the federal government. A is your hospital care, your uh, rehab facility, which they call skilled care, your end-of-life hospice care, that's part A. Part B, also through the federal government, is your physicians uh, that would also get into outpatient surgery and even preventative care. So the, the flu shot or the vaccines, uh, that, that's preventative care. So that's A and B. So that's kind of think of that as your core coverage. There's premiums, there's co-pays, there's deductibles, there's holes in the coverage, but that, that's the core coverage. <clears throat> Most people will go out and add to that what's commonly called a Medigap policy. Technically, that's Medicare supplement issued through a private insurance company, and that's to, to fill in a lot of the holes in your coverage. 
Uh, they also will go out to a private insurance company and get a prescription drug policy, so Part D. So you think of that as what I would call the most common coverage model, particularly in the financial advisor community, original Medicare, A and B, with a Medigap and Part D. Now, the, the, the one variation to that, the second model, is still enrolling in original Medicare. So when we said earlier it's mandatory, it's mandatory, right? So you're still enrolling in original Medicare, A and B, but it's getting packaged up by a private insurance company and usually will cover your prescription drugs as well. And, and they come in a lot of different shapes and sizes, HMOs and PPOs. And the, the common thread though, is they have a network of care providers. Think of it as a network of physicians. And if you wanna get full robust coverage, you need to stay in the network. And that network is typically geographic. So if you live in Northern Virginia, then that's where your network's going to be located. Uh, you don't have the ability to, to see a physician out at the Mayo Clinic or at the Sloan Cancer Center or the Cleveland Heart Institute and have it be considered in network. So it is a big distinction. So you can either get your original Medicare and then go out and get a supplement in a Part D, or you get it all bundled up in an Advantage plan, which usually covers your drugs, uh, but you're willing to commit to, to being in a regional network. You mentioned something that was quite interesting to me. You talked about the typical advisor client and their Medicare decisions. Now, Medicare Advantage plans, those ones that are so heavily advertised on television and radio during the fall open enrollment season, are always dangling these carrots of you'll get a free mem uh, gym membership and you'll get vision and dental care that Medicare doesn't give you and maybe we'll give you um, an allowance towards hearing aid, all these extras, but the trade-off is you pretty much are confined to using their network of providers. The Medicare Advantage enrollment has been exploding over the last few years and now represents, I think, about 45% of all Medicare enrollees, but not necessarily a large percentage of advisor clients. And why do you think that is? Well, be, because you're, the primary reason that you would trade off the ability to see any physician in the country who accepts Medicare, you, the reason you'd be willing to trade that off in order to get you know, a, a gym membership would be to save in cost. And, and I get it. I mean, I understand healthcare expenses are enormous and, and you look at an advantage plan and realize, wow, I can really save some money. I can, this is going to, particularly if you're not a huge consumer of healthcare, if you're reasonably healthy, you're moving into retirement and you think this is a lot more cost-effective plan to be on. And so uh, I'm, I'm good with that if, if that's the philosophy, but if you're uh, an individual who has a financial advisor, that typically means you've got investable assets and you have some means. And you're looking at this and saying, well, wait a minute, if, if 10 years from now, I'm eyeball to eyeball with my primary care physician and they say, you or maybe your spouse, you know, you've got a heart issue and there's a certain surgery you need. And, and the individual that I would recommend you see for that surgery is so-and-so located somewhere, <laughs> you know, you want to be able to go see that physician and, and know that your insurance coverage is going to work without, 
both the, the out of network situation you'd have with the Advantage plan, as well as the complexity. It gets complex trying to get coverage outside of your network with the Advantage plans. Talk about what happens if someone in the example you gave, hey, I'm healthy at 65. Why spend all this money on healthcare? I'll just enroll in a Medicare Advantage plan. And if I get sick later, I'll switch. How does that play out? Yeah, that, that's often the mentality because you have what's called an open enrollment every fall with Medicare. And I, I don't like the phrase open enrollment because I think it's a little deceiving. When you sign up for your Medicare Part B, what you're given is a guaranteed issue to get one of these Medigap plans. When your so, initial enrollment. When you, en when you enroll in your Medicare Part B, right, right. When you initially enroll. And so... At that point, you're guaranteed to get a Medigap plan. You could have stage four cancer and they have to issue you a Medigap policy and it has to be at the same price. So that guarantee goes away, right? So if you don't choose to get your Medigap at that moment in time, that period of time, later on, the insurance companies are under no obligation to offer you a Medigap plan. So if you have a major illness, uh, or a minor illness, you know, they can deny coverage, they can increase rates, uh, introduce waiting periods, there's a lot of different technicalities you can get into. But I guess the short answer is you only get one free look at that Medigap policy. And that's when you have your initial enrollment in Part B. Now, there's a few states where they're in our country that are uh, a little more liberal in their provisions, allowing switches. Uh, but generally speaking, most of us really need to make that decision at initial enrollment. Realize strives to put you in control of managing your investment property wealth. Their goal is to help bridge the gap between investment property ownership and sophisticated wealth management, helping you meet your income needs in retirement and pursue your investment goals across generations. Using the principles of investment property wealth management, Realize transforms individual investment properties into diversified real estate portfolios, customized based on income needs approaching retirement, risk appetite, and investment goals. By evaluating your current investment assets and determining what your long-term strategy is for wealth management, their team of advisors can create a unique investment plan for you or your clients. Visit them at www.realize1031.com slash repair shop to learn more about Realized and the tools they use to help their clients overcome retirement income challenges. Well, let's talk about some cost in Medicare, which, as you pointed out, can be surprisingly high for new retirees. Now, the basic monthly um, part B premium for those doctor's fees and outpatient services increased by a record dollar amount this year by about $21 a month to $170.10 per month for most Medicare enrollees. But there was a surprise announcement just as we're recording this program in early January that the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services is actually considering for the first time maybe rolling back that record increase in premiums. Have you heard about that? Do you have any thoughts about it? I have heard about it. And yes, I have thoughts. Uh, you have to realize Medicare Part B, 
the way contractually it works is the government has to come up with the forecasted cost, the actuarial cost of delivering the Medicare Part B program. And then part of that cost uh, gets paid for by a premium, Medicare Part B premium. And so really what you have happening is uh, there's been some pushback on what you correctly described as one of the largest price increases, you know, over 14% uh, price increase in your Part B. So there's been pushback on that. And one of the factors that Medicare has to look at are some of the uh, prescription drugs. And there's a lot of chatter about the new Alzheimer's medicine that's, that's out there and how expensive it is. And so CMS is reconsidering, at least, at least that's the headline. They're reconsidering, uh, did they forecast this correctly or should they lower the, the cost that they've put out into the market. Now, that's the headline right now. Uh, I can tell you, Mary Beth, a few years back when the initial number came out that shows how much Medicare costs, the price increase should have been 52%, 5-2. I remember that, yes. Yeah, yes. and there was some, uh, what I would describe as political uh, smoke and mirrors accounting that went on by our U.S. government, and the price was reduced from 52, the price increase from 52 down to 16-ish percent, and there was some discussion from there. So anyway, we've been through this before, uh, I guess is my point, <clears throat> and we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see. Uh, do they really lower the cost or not? Uh, but the reality is Medicare is on the road to financial insolvency. So I know not dealing with these price increases is really just kicking the can down the road. Right. And on that note, everyone tends to focus on the Social Security long-term financing goal. When will the trust fund run dry? And we're looking sometime in 2034 thereabout. Medicare's trust fund is due to run out in the next couple of years. It's, it's really on the brink. And I don't hear any chapter on Capitol Hill about how they're going to fix this. But we're not going to solve that problem today. <laughs> Let's focus on the Medicare premium. We just talked about this increase to $170.10 per month for most Medicare enrollees, but higher income retirees pay more. Talk about these IRMA surcharges. What are they? Who pays them? And what can we do about them? Sure. So IRMA stands for Income Related Monthly Adjustment Amount. And basically, as described, you are paying more for your Medicare B and actually for your Part D premiums based on your income level. So there are six different brackets, income brackets that you can fall into. The threshold gets crossed at $91,000 for a single tax filer, and you just double that out for a married tax uh, joint return at 182,000. So if you cross those thresholds, you're gonna pay more for your part B and your part D. When I say income, uh, that's your adjusted gross income. Now I'm not a CPA, but you can pull that line right off your tax return. And there's a lot of stuff that flows into adjusted gross income from dividends and capital gains and RMDs and interest income and the taxable piece of your social security. That all flows, pensions, all flows into AGI, adjusted gross income. And then they add to that your municipal bond income. 
So if you're living in a state that has high taxes and you've got a big robust muni bond portfolio, recognize that's also going to flow in. So they, they put those two numbers together and that lands you in an income bracket. And based on that bracket, uh, you may not be paying the $170 a month. You know, it goes all the way up to $578 a month if you're in the top bracket. And that's per person. So if you have two spouses each enrolled in Medicare, you're multiplying that by two. Correct. Yeah. Medicare coverage is always individual. So you are doubling that out for the married couple. And in fact, I had this conversation um, when I was speaking at a conference over the weekend and one of the financial advisors attendees was aghast that even though she was younger than 65 and not enrolled in Medicare and her 65 year old plus husband was his Medicare premiums and surcharge were based on their joint income. And I said, yes, you're married. You file a joint income tax return, but I'm not on Medicare. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It's your joint income. I think that is one of the great shocks for retired clients and for financial advisors to wrap their hands, heads around as well. Yeah. And, and I tell you, the other shocker that comes up, I do a lot of phone consultations with people as they're enrolling. And the other shocker that comes up is the fact that Medicare is looking two years back. So 2022 retirees, Medicare is looking at 2020 income levels. And so at first there's kind of a, a pregnant pause in the conversation. And then they usually say, well, wait a minute. That was the peak of my career. That was one of the highest incomes I ever had. It was right before I'm stepping out into retirement. And uh, that's actually where you can deliver some good news, as, as I know you're well aware that, that uh, the default is to look two years back. But if you've had what, what Medicare considers to be a life-changing event, and there's a spe specific list of those, uh, you can instruct Medicare to look at your current income. And as a retiree, that current income may be substantially lower. And you could be talking thousands of dollars per individual in Medicare savings those first couple of years. Talk through the steps. How do you, you usually every November around Thanksgiving, uh, people who are affected by these IRMA surcharges get a letter from Social Security that basically says, hey, good news, you made too much money. We're going to charge <laughs> you more for Medicare next year. But right on that IRMA notification letter are specific instructions about how you can appeal those IRMA sur surcharges under specific life-changing events. Talk a little bit more how you go through that process. Yeah, so there's a form called SSA, which stands for Social Security Administration-44. And on that form, you'll see the different life-changing events listed. The most common ones would be what they call a work stoppage or a partial work stoppage. So let's call that retirement or, or even partial retirement. And you can uh, fill out that form, bring it into Social Security, and document your current income. They'll even ask you for next year's income as well, recognizing that if you've retired and your income's lower now, it might be lower again next year too. So you document this year's income, or I should say estimate this year's income as well as next year's income. And then they will base your Medicare premium on that estimated income. Now you do have to follow up later with the actual tax returns and documentation to verify the income. It's a pretty straightforward process. 
that uh, that a retiree can utilize. Right. And some of those other uh, legitimate life-changing events for the basis of a, an appeal would be, I was widowed, um, I got married, I got divorced, some of those life-changing events. But what happens if, hey, I sold the vacation home, made a big profit, or I uh, converted some of my traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, and that conversion amount was taxable. Am I out of luck? Uh, you are out of luck in terms of capital gains are not a life-changing event in Medicare's eyes. RMDs are not life-changing events. So those, those type of situations, uh, you cannot use the form. Uh, but what I tell you is you're only out of luck for a short period of time because each year, Medicare looks two years back. So if you get clobbered in 2000. In 20, let's just pick a year on some some capital gains or the sale of a business or whatever it might be. Uh, yes, that will put you into high Medicare premiums in 2022. But in 2023, they'll go back and look two years prior to 2021. And if your income is dropped at that point, Medicare premiums will be adjusted accordingly. One point I think we should emphasize on these income tiers that trigger the various surcharge they are what are called cliff brackets. In other words, you go $1 over into the next tier and you may get slammed with another 50 or $100 a month. So I always tell financial advisors when guiding their clients at tax time, yes, it's important to look at income tax brackets, but wow, you really want to be aware of those Medicare IRMA surcharge brackets as well. They can be even more damaging. I remember one financial advisor who retired and was not well-versed in this and did her own taxes using tax software. And to her chagrin, found out later that she was $5 over into the next Irma tier, and it cost her $600 in Medicare premiums two years later. Right. So you know whether it's income taxes, whether it's the Irma brackets, whether it's the taxation of your social security benefit, uh, I do a presentation called Caution Low-Level Bridge Ahead, and, and it kind of makes the parallel that going through retirement is kind of partly looking out for these bridges, these tax bridges, and making sure that you can slide under them as often as you legitimately can. Uh, because to your point, with the, with the Medicare, just a couple of dollars over and you get crushed. Let's talk about some strategies maybe to reduce those surcharges in the future. I know you are a huge fan of health savings accounts. Review for us why they're so good and what's one problem when you sign up for Medicare when it comes to HSAs? Sure. With the HSA, I am a big fan of the HSAs. And really, it's, it's about building some sources of tax-free retirement income for retirement. So the HSA is one of the ways to do that. I think, you know, the Roth is the other obvious one. So I'm just a huge proponent of having our clients walk into retirement with at least one bucket, if not two buckets of tax-free wealth, tax-free income, so that they can really manage some of these situations that we just described. Uh, the HSA specifically, the health savings account specifically, you know, it's only available if you have HSA compatible insurance, uh, but that's a, an increasingly large percentage of our country, you know, the third to uh, 40% by, by some counts. And so 
people have these health savings accounts and uh, I'm a big advocate of not spending a nickel out of your health savings account. So it kind of turns the, the traditional thought on these on its head where people put the money in, in the front door and it goes out the back door in the same calendar year where they, they use it to pay for uh, qualified medical expenses because it comes out tax-free in that situation. Uh, but my battle cry, the, the drum I've been beating for the last 10 years has been to get that HSA invested for retirement. Everything goes in pre-tax, pre-federal, pre-state in most states, pre-FICA. It'll grow tax-free in the investment portfolio. And then you can take it out in retirement income tax-free for any qualified healthcare expenditures, uh, including your Medicare premiums. So the analogy, sometimes Mary Beth, you have to, to bring it to life a little bit. And so I always give the, the example that, that, a, that a 50-year-old individual, let's say a 50-year-old couple uh, that has family health insurance, uh, they fully fund their HSA starting today they would walk into retirement with $383,000 in that HSA. That's a fully funded HSA with a, you know, a little bit of a contribution limit increase each year and fully invested. And I think I used an 8% return, but th those are startling numbers, right? Yeah. I mean, walking into retirement with $383,000 in an account where I can pull off income uh, tax-free for, for qualified healthcare expenses and past and prior, I guess I'm digressing, but but I'm a big fan of the HSA because it's one of the ways you can pull income off that's not going to impact your IRMA brackets. It's not going to impact your federal and state taxes. You mentioned, um, and I love this example you've given in the past, of uh, you can spend the HSA funds tax-free on qualified medical expenses, including past expenses. Tell us how that works. If I've, I've saved my medical receipts throughout the years that I paid for out of pocket, and now I'm getting to the point I'm taking distributions from my HSA, how do I match those up with past expenses? If I have a medical expense this week, let's say it's something that's you know not, not covered by my health insurance, uh, some major dental work. And so I'm going to pay $2,000 to my dentist. Now I have a choice. Do I want to take it out of my HSA? To which I would say, absolutely not. My HSA is invested. It's for retirement when my health expenses will be greatest, most likely. So I wouldn't touch the HSA. So I, I pay from the emergency fund, right? I pay that $2,000 to the dentist from the emergency fund. Well, I've just created a $2,000 lifelong tax-free distribution from that HSA. So whether it's next week, next month, or 20 years from now when I'm in retirement, I can call my HSA custodian and say, send me $2,000. And they'll ask, is this a qualified medical expense distribution? And I'll say, yes, it is. And they'll say, have a great day. Here's your $2,000. So it's, it's a pretty neat concept where not only can I use it in retirement to offset current co-pays, deductibles, Medicare premiums, uh, but I can use it for all those past ones that, granted, I, I, I incurred. Life happens, right? You're going to have medical expenses, but you can keep track of those expenditures and use the uh, receipts, as you put it, later. I think that's a really great strategy. Now, there's one other challenge to HSAs once you get to Medicare age. 
what happens if you have an HSA that you have been contributing to and now you enroll in Medicare? Once you are enrolled in Medicare, you are no longer eligible to contribute to an HSA. So you need to stop contributing to the HSA once you're Medicare enrolled. Now you can still own an HSA. You can take money out of that HSA for all the reasons we just discussed, uh, but you no longer can contribute to the HSA. And I always put one footnote on that because it's a common scenario. Uh, your spouse's eligibility for Medicare does not make you HSA ineligible. So in other words, even though your spouse still is enrolled in Medicare, uh, you can still be eligible to contribute to the HSA. Well, that, that's a great distinction. There's also the, the scenario we mentioned earlier, when people continue to work beyond age 65 and they have group health insurance through their employer and they delay enrolling in Medicare, once they do enroll, when their group health insurance ends, there's this tricky little six month look back period. And if they had been funding NHSA, they basically have to unfund it, take the money out for the prior six months. Otherwise there's a tax penalty, right? Yeah, so Medic Medicare en enrollment can be retroactive. It's, it's beyond the scope of this conversation to discuss all the scenarios of exactly which month your Medicare coverage is going to start. But keep in mind that it can be retroactive. And so you just need to be careful of exactly when you're going to be HSA ineligible. So you, you do need to really work with your HSA custodian when it comes that time and make sure you stop the contributions at the appropriate time. Well, as you and I mentioned, uh, COVID had grounded both of us from our normal globe-trotting speaking and great, uh, and you've been doing a lot during that time. Um, tell us about how you've worked on expanding your expertise into the group health insurance market. I'm trying to make some lemonade out of lemons, I guess you could say, in terms of uh, having a business model really driven by conferences and, and getting in front of uh, advisors in their offices and at client seminars, uh, we've both been grounded and they're, are, you know, having our webinars, but I've taken the opportunity to really delve into the uh, group health insurance market. So whereas previously my focus was on the retiree coverage, uh, I've really delved into exploring the, the let's call it small to mid-size employer group health insurance market. So, you know, a dozen employees up to a couple of thousand employees. And what really drove me into that is, Mary Beth, there is a massive overspend going on in that realm uh, where we've all seen it, right? As employees, uh, wow, these, these health insurance premiums have gone through the roof, right? The, I mean, the increases are, are incredible. And, and believe me, if you're seeing it as an employee, your employer, who's probably paying most of that premium, is seeing it even more so. And, and yet, it, it often doesn't need to be that way. In other words, there are just incredible opportunities for employers to really delve a little deeper uh, into these group health plans that they're providing 
and get their interests aligned with the employees' interests and with the insurance providers' interests and, and really make some massive improvements to their health plans and dramatically lower the cost. So when I started to really see this in action and and, uh, and delve into it. It's, it's a pretty exciting space. It also sounds like a great potential opportunity for financial advisors who want to get into this small business advising market and perhaps either develop an expertise like this or to partner with people like you who have that expertise. And speaking of which, you have some tools available, right? What's the WealthWatch video library? Yeah, so uh, WealthWatch is an online resource center. And uh, as you introduced me, my speaking business is Bedrock and my online resource center is called WealthWatch. So I guess, I guess I'm a little schizophrenic and, and actually the, the group health program that I'm getting involved with is with a group uh, down in your neck of the woods actually called Incenta. So I have a, a lot of identities these days. But but anyway, the, the WealthWatch video series is uh, 12, at this point, 12 educational videos. Uh, YourWealthWatch.com is where they're located. And they go through explaining Medicare. Uh, a lot of the stuff we went through on this call, actually. Uh, Medicare and Advantage plans and original and what the costs are and what you should expect and the IRMA brackets and health savings accounts uh, also delves a little bit into long-term care or what I describe as custodial care and the, the particular challenges that we have there because it's important to note that Medicare does not pay for custodial care and as critical as this whole conversation is regarding Medicare planning uh, equally important is making sure you're having conversations with, with your clients about long-term care and custodial care. So the video series uh, is available at yourwealthwatch.com, and it's, it's free to financial advisors and their clients to look at and explore some of these topics. Well, Peter, I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge about healthcare costs and retirement and some strategies for reducing those costs. And I want to thank our listeners of the Retirement Repair Shop and to our sponsor, Realized for making this podcast possible. Money, money, money.